0: Welcome to the Reflective Teaching in a Digital Age podcast series. In these conversations, we discuss technology-inspired changes in STEM education. The title of today's episode is Blended Learning. Nicole and I will talk with Dr. Norm Vaughan, who is a professor in the Department of Education, Faculty of Teaching and Learning at Mount Royal University in Calgary, Alberta. He is an educator and researcher with interests in blended learning, faculty development, and K-12 schooling. Norm appeared in our podcast earlier this year in an episode on teaching through the lens of the Community of Inquiry Framework. Well, good morning, Norm. It's wonderful to have you back on our podcast series to talk about blended learning. And by the way, for those listeners who didn't hear our previous conversation with Norm, please check out podcast from April of this year titled Teaching Through the Lens of the Community of Inquiry Framework. Today, though, we'll focus on understanding what blended learning means from an expert in the field who has done extensive research on the topic. And also, we will provide links to the relevant research papers and books that you wrote on teaching and blended learning environments. So we will do it in this podcast. But to start off, welcome again, Norm. And if you don't mind maybe providing a brief overview of yourself again for those uh, listeners who would like to learn a little bit more about you. And also, if we can start with maybe a basic definition of blended learning.
1: So welcome, just thank you, Natasha and Nicole, for having me on your podcast. Again, it's a pleasure, and again, we're doing this on a Friday, which is... Oh just great for all of us. I think it's busy <laughs> and busy and it's Nicole I'm going to go back to you. It's really relevant to blended learning because you're explaining experiencing blended teaching and being a blended faculty member as we right. slowly go back on campus so we'll talk about that. So just a little bit about myself. I I get to be in that country just to the north of you. Um it's in a province called Alberta and I live in a city called Calgary and it's uh for those of you who've done a little traveling to the American national parks there's uh, as you know the state of Montana is beautiful. It's got Glacier National Park. And if you just kept driving north from Glacier National Park in Montana, you'd get to Alberta. And then a couple hours later, you'd, you'd be in my hometown of Calgary. And I'm really quite excited to talk to you about blended learning, because I think this is a really important topic. And my observation of what's happening sort of in North American, American and Canadian higher education institutions as 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 the COVID numbers start to get a little under control and and mm-hmm. a lot of us are back on campus, so Natasha, it's really interesting you asked about a simple definition, and I think that's one of the big issues about blended learning is is really what is it? And it's interesting. There's been some um, a couple of interesting papers that I'll send to you that you can put on the links. Mm-hmm. One's by um, your big organization, Educause, which was mm-hmm. doing a study about you know students' perceptions about what was going on during remote learning and what worked for them and what didn't. And a second one that just came out, um, I'm actually going to give it it's it's the online learning consortium that I think you folks are familiar with. It's said uh, Tanya Justin, who's at the University of it's Milwaukee, and I think she's at the main campus. My bad. I'll send you the link. But again, what was exciting for me, it's it's getting students' perceptions of what's going on. So we'll get to the definition in a minute. But mm-hmm. one of the things they observed and I think for both of us, all three of us, you know, that's the exciting thing about being involved in a university is, uh, you know, that's where, where kids really grow up. And I'll be honest, they come at different ages, but for most of what we're involved in, I'm involved in education, it's helping them develop their professional identity. We talk about moving from a university student to a teacher candidate and what I've seen after report, after report, after report, the majority want some sort of blend of, of a physical campus-based experience and they can see some of the benefits of online learning, the flexibility. So what I'm seeing from students is their definition of blended learning is, is a, an integration, a really clear integration of campus-based learning and online learning. and And the reason they appreciate that is just... Um, you know, we talk about 90% of our communication is nonverbal, just learning how to work with people face to face. Listen, Nicole and Natasha, I've been doing online for a long time. I think it's great. But I think especially for young people, in terms of really engaging in a lot of challenging conversations, they need a mix of, of the physical and the online. So that's what my definition is. And it's the one we had in our original book back in 2005, it's it's sort of the thoughtful integration of campus-based and online learning. Now, with that, we always mention that one size doesn't fit all, and, and we mm-hmm. see this coming out in the learning as well. So, to me, I'm teaching three sections of the identical course, so it makes sense. I have a common syllabus. I mm-hmm. have common activities. But the way that that learning community rolls out, I'll be honest, is quite different from all three because as we know, we're dealing with humans. Uh, These aren't lab rats or anything like that. These are Mm -hmm. humans. And so we talk about thoughtful, but when we talk about the planning, we talk about it being organic. Again, you know, it's audience analysis. You really have to know who your students are. I do a lot of observation out in K-6 to schools too. Um, You know, the best laid plans of women or men or mice like John Steinbeck said often go astray. You really need to be attentive to who's in your class. So again, I've got you know common outcomes, common assignments, but the way we get at it, and especially the way that we run um what we call the synchronous because it's usually face to face, but mm-hmm. at times it's online like Skype or Zoom is quite different based on the characteristics of humans there. So that's what I want to get at. And, you know, I can just take it from there, honestly. The other thing we're finding is um, there was a wonderful woman who did a, a lot of work. Her name was Carol Ann Twig. And in the United States, it was called the National Center for Academic Transformation. Unfortunately, Carol has retired, but the archives for all her work, because she had a huge amount of funding from the federal government, mm-hmm. has moved all over to the university of central florida so we can access it because the wonderful thing she did is she created a lot of case studies and a lot of different uh, metrics heuristics that others can use so i'll make sure after this i'll Mm -hmm. follow up with you nicole the one thing carol hammered to me is one of the dangers of a blended course is what she called a course and a half syndrome Mm -hmm. is that You can't see the links between what's going on synchronously, which usually happens face-to-face, can happen that, and what happens online, you know, um, out of sight, of, out of mind. And it was like the students couldn't see the forest through the trees. We were just overwhelming them with content. Like a fire hose. And you know, Nicole and Natasha, I'm teasing you, but you got, you two were talking about how you need to check out. Like our new, we're, we're getting, <laughs> like, it's like a fire hose. We're just getting overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if we're really going to help these people and, and they really like, you know, it, you know, I hate to say it, but they say that is less is more. And, and it's mm-hmm. really true with blended courses is that we need to figure out with our courses. These aren't textbooks. We've taught these a few years now. They talk about them being bottlenecks, threshold concepts, whatever. What are the key building blocks, the key concepts the students need to understand in this course, not only to be successful, but to move forward, you know, to the next course or into their professional life, whatever that may be, working for a nonprofit, mm-hmm. uh, working for a corporation, working for a government organization so what we've started to look at for blended learning and it's a friend of mine sue brown i'll send you her work she's in the uk uh her background was she was the assessment crew, and she said norm buddy whether you like it or not assessment is what drives the road It, it hits you know that's where the rubber hits the road you can have all these little cute things your lectures But what's really the students are paying attention to is our assessment framework, and the way that we design that framework is the way that students are going to approach your course. Are you going to do it Mm -hmm. at like a really surface level, like, you know, where they're just – it's a lot of content, a lot of memorization, you know, back to that Benjamin Bloom sort of low on Mm -hmm. his taxonomy – or are you going to be developing assessment activities that force them to go deep, you know, to really think, start getting to the higher level of Bloom's taxonomy in terms of, you know, um, the analysis, uh, the evaluation, and I think it's now creation up there at the top. So it's the assessment activity. So Sue, a lot of others have helped me. So, you know, blended learning is this idea of we're integrating, let's just keep it simple. Our fancy words synchronous and asynchronous, okay? Mm-hmm. We want to integrate those. So, let's start thinking about it meaningfully. But I think we're seeing now and now, you know, the importance of learning is getting continuous feedback. But Nicole, Natasha, myself, hey, we're human. We only have 24 hours a day, <laughs> seven days in a week. Mm-hmm. How can we do this in a way that they're getting meaningful feedback, but it's not burning us out? Yeah. So, here's what we've started to think about is um, How can we set them up, you know, get stuff happening asynchronously, like before class activities? And my experience when I started teaching is 90% of didn't the work, you know, back to the old thing, you know, read this textbook, come prepared to do work or, you know, whatever we wanna call that flip classroom, Mm -hmm. you know, watch this video now, but nobody was doing the work and it was frustrating because some of them did, some of them didn't. So now what we're really looking at for that pre-class is sort of what we call Mm -hmm. those diagnostic assessment activities there's a guy, Gregor Novak, he was at Indiana University of Bloomington. He was at the U.S. Air Force before that. He talked about just-in-time teaching.
2: Mm-hmm. So we're going
1: to talk mm-hmm. about his JIT activities, but we're going to go even further. It, um, this is back into the 60s. It's David Ozobal, who was at Cornell University. He talked about anchoring events. What we need to do is create these pre-class activities where it really helps Activate, you know, finding out what students already know, but connecting to their prior learning. Mm -hmm. And there are so many cool digital things. So again, you know, a lot of us quizzing. Oh, it's only getting at surface level, you know, multiple choice, but there's a lot of tools out there. I'll be honest. I'm even going to give Prentice Hall Pearson a few of those textbooks credit. Again, these are low stakes activities, but these are problem solving. It's really neat. It's really forcing students to think about class. And most of these digital activities, these digital quizzes, or you can see it, you know, games, um, you know, those little apps on your phone that plug into your learning management system. So students can do these activities over and over and over again on this. So it's not stressing us out. You know, it's low stakes marks. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. you got 12 weeks in the semester, 10 weeks, it's 1%. But the beauty of getting them to do these activities before a synchronous class it helps them figure out where they're missed where they got problems, whatever. That They're hungry to come to class for help with us and their peers to figure out these problems. They can't get like only 30% understand what mitosis is in a biology class.
2: Mm-hmm. But the
1: beauty is... It's it's also showing you, you know, we use these fancy words, learning analytics. It's helping you mm-hmm. see where the student misconceptions are, seeing the big trends, so that you can be more focused and intentional when they meet synchronously. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's part one. You know, pre-class activities, I'm working on it. it, it it's getting better for me, team, because... They have more skin in the game. They can see these activities are worthwhile because they're seeing, okay, there's still an external motivation. I'm getting, you know, the 1%, mm-hmm. but they're getting it. They're getting it where we want them. They're internally motivated. Like, oh, wow, you know, this really, I can see this is how it's relating to my, like even my part-time job or not. So they're starting to internalize the learning, which, you know, all those fancy words, self-regulation, metacognition, blah, blah, blah. Okay, <laughs> Now this is where the rubber really hits the road, and this is where I have found a lot of faculty members have struggled with remote learning. If they're doing all this stuff on their own outside of class, what's the value added for doing? You know, we're doing a Skype or a Zoom session mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, why bother? How can we and inha- how can we create this a really engaging learning experience? Because people like me, I'm only talking to me. We love to talk. The reason I'm a professor is I love to profess. And that's what my classes were all about is just me talking. Students won't put up with that anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've, they've, they've been on the best TED Talks for whatever. So back to assessment. What Sue's helped me figure out is those synchronous sessions are in a magical time for mm-hmm. formative, for formative assessment. And the way that we need to focus on that is that is peer feedback. The biggest thing I'm finding in my research is most of my first and second years, they don't have a clue how to collaborate because they have come out of a to K-12 system that has forced them to be individuals. And I know in the States, you've got the student achievement test, the SAT. We've got the same thing here. We put such an emphasis on cheating, plagiarism, all that. They're scared to work together. And mm-hmm. team, if we're going to solve these big problems and we have to work together to solve this. And the only way we can do it is we have to, cooperate and collaborate and again my experience is they don't know how to do it because we've conditioned them to individualize the old eurocentric way of learning it's all about individualism we can't work together the class is again we got to demonstrate to them because again in 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 their background is i don't want to work with my peers because there's i think it was an italian the prato principle usually of the work is done by 20% of the group members. They've had really terrible experiences. Mm -hmm. We need to get that out. We need them to share all the negative things. And then we experientially have to create activities that demonstrates to them that it's a win-win working together. The reason it's a win-win, and and I'll share, I'm in a big study working on this right now. We're into our third year on it, and it's working so well. It's a two-way street. One, you win because just like with us, we have to do a peer review process before we ever publish our work. People catch our problems, you know, the misconceptions, Mm -hmm. even down to all that granular stuff that we hate, you know, not just grammar and spelling, but I we use APA, American Psychological Association. There's MLA out there, Chicago. But if they are going to be enculturated in our profession, they need to do academic writing. We can catch all that. So the first thing is they go, oh my gosh, I got a better final mark because there was a peer review process. Mm -hmm. But secondly, my mark was even better. But because by looking at someone else's work, it's no more cheating anymore. It's collaboration. It's community creation. Like, is how did you do that? You teach me, and we get in back to the community of inquiry. It's teaching presence. It's not teacher. As humans, we're wired. To have skin in the game, we want to teach everybody. So I can go on and on. It, this is the natural sciences. We're getting you know, uh, Eric Mazur at Harvard, Carl Wyman at, at U Colorado mm-hmm. Boulder, mm-hmm. Nobel Prize winner, have demonstrated to us – you know, it's more than just these activities. You need to resign classroom space. And I see this happening in Canada and the States is there is major work doing about tearing all those lecture theaters. And in physics, they call it about a laboratorial. So Mm -hmm. you're getting rid of the lecture and you're getting rid of the lab and the tutorial, you're putting it together. Mm -hmm. You've got Tenured faculty members now working with grad students, a win-win. I can send you all kinds of stuff about that. Okay, so back to what I'm trying to say. Diagnostic assessment, pre-class activities, finding out, helping students find out where they are, helping us find out where they are. The class is now what it is. it's, It's forcing students to work together and really focusing on peer feedback rather than peer assessment. And, and they need a lot of work. You, you know, low stakes in the beginning. My experience is 80% of them hate working together, and we have to demonstrate that the only way this planet can survive is if we all work together. Um, we have to learn to agree to disagree, that we have to go back to civil. We have to be able to see both that. that's Sorry, that's what university is all about, is seeing different perspectives. Again, yeah. the strength of our global ecosystem is diversity. We need the difference. Okay, I know I'm riffing too long. The <laughs> last part then is what do we do outside of class time? And mm-hmm. again, out of sight, out of mind. Listen, you and I only have so much time, but we have a whole community of peers to work with. You know, people in NGOs, um, our colleagues at other things. What we need to figure out, again, at the end of the day, outside of class, there is going to be summative assessment. I mean, whether you like it or not, that's why we're paid the little bucks, is, is we are the the course record. We, after that has been a process, you know, we call a triad approach assessment. Um, they're doing self-reflection. They're doing self-assessment. There's peer feedback. We are going to come in. We're at, we're at the top of the food chain. We're the ones, the gatekeepers that say yay or nay, that, you know, you pass or fail. But before we get to that, there can be one last stage, and this is where I find that my students put on their 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 big boy and and big girl pants, is bringing in community experts to give that last layer of peer feedback. And I find, especially in our business faculty, the people out in industry are all over this. You know, uh, I think in the States, you call it the shark tank. You know, it's pitching ideas and again this is more than a business i see this taking place in courses all over again it's great when you can bring them in virtually into a zoom session they can create video pitches uh, in vimeo youtube private channels and then the experts can come in and give them feedback about that and this is a win-win and it's a win-win for both i have no problems bringing in principals uh superintendents because they say norm this is great because it's a two-way street. We can see what your students are doing and give you feedback. Hey, Norm, you know, especially in those final year courses, here's what we'd be getting you to focus more on. And a lot of it's about professional roles and responsibilities. They've got to make a mind shift. The other thing they tell me, they love it. It's, It's like, Uh, pre-recruiting they're scouting like they're finding Mm -hmm. out who are the real key people and we'll get it so just to, to, to bring this together and you can ask me more questions my definition of blended learning is intentionally and meaningfully integrating synchronous and asynchronous learning experiences my preference would be for that synchronous to happen physically I know that it can't happen that way, so it's going to happen maybe synchronously for Zoom. But what I'm finding more and more, Nicole and Natasha, with blended learning, it's all about feedback. Less is more. Let's not jack up the content. There's too much of it out there. Let's focus on the really key points, and let's focus on feedback cycles. So again, before they come to a synchronous session, let's focus on pre-class activities, where they're already getting feedback about what what they know, like, you know, oh, my gosh. And this really helps us because that way we're not going over top of them or not, we're not going below them. We're meeting them where they need to be when we meet them synchronously. OK, pre-class activities, feedback loops built in in class. And I cannot emphasize this in more in class is getting them to work with each other. And this is really important because I hear it from students. that They hate group work to begin with, but then, you know, they have a lot of them have childcare expectations, like come on. So again, that's the focus of synchronous sessions. It's students working meaningfully together. And then finally, after class, outside of activities, that's where we have to give them some bit of assessment that mm-hmm. we can loop back into the next the pre-class the pre activity. But again, that's also an opportunity for them to get one last layer of peer feedback from experts. And that, my friends, is blended learning in a very large nutshell. Back to you, Natasha Nicole, for, for more questions.
2: That was very informative, Norm. Thank you. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of jumped out at me as you were talking is... One thing we've been learning through our conversations with all the different STEM educators is that for people who for the longest time had a very traditional approach to teaching and learning, they were able to, though they were dumped into online teaching um, last year, were able to find things that they really liked and they're like, oh, I liked having this chat feature, or I liked, the students liked having videos recorded, or whatever. And so now they're talking about, well, these are the things I want to keep for my class moving forward. But I understand that in the blended learning space, these were things that were already happening. There were activities that were designed for an online space. And I guess my question is, you know, how does one balance the I need to meet learning outcomes. I need to engage my students. I need to build relationship. But I also need to ensure that when I meet them face to face, I'm intentionally using that time for that core interaction that needs to happen. So,
1: so Nicole, you mentioned it. I'm going to start with it. You mentioned STEM instructors because it's really interesting. Um, Again, I think it's wonderful how all of us in, in the medical, you know, medical, science, social, natural sciences have all learned together with this. But Nicole, just because that's my background, STEM as well. And I, I just want to get, give these folks a shout out. My experience, and this is my own personal experience, Nicole, the STEM faculty, the STEM, a lot of STEM courses are the most innovative ones I know. And the reason they're innovative is they are passionate about their disciplines and their concern is that a lot of people look at their courses as being those um the weeder courses mm-hmm, or, yeah, or, yeah. Yeah, or we're going to force you out but but you know especially topic talking to people eric Mazur at harvard carl Weinman at um, colorado university boulder they have been incredible mentors to me
2: mm-hmm.
1: now when i talk to them they go whoa you know again it's like the forest for the trees You've got so much going on. It's more than content now. It's bells yeah. and whistles. Like you said, it's like an onion. You've created so many layers of the onion that at the center, the core concepts have got lost because we've got, right. like you say, we've got chat rooms. We've got everything going on. What we need to do at the beginning of the course, Nicole, is, is a needs assessment. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's, you know, finding out The key is what prior experience do they have with the concepts of our course? But whether we like it or not, these are connoisseurs of online courses. Nicole, you and I and Natasha, we've taught our courses, but whether we like it, we got our blinders on, you know, it's us, it's us, it's It's our comfort level, we've done this. These folks have sampled the buffet, they've got everything going on, so Let's discover a little from them, you know, what's worked, what hasn't from them, what's their comfort level already with technology, so that it's like a meeting of the minds. You know, we've got our plans, but sometimes the technology I'm using for that assignment, I change because maybe they had a prereq course before Mm -hmm. me where they were using, what was video, there's these tools I've never, or apps I've never heard of. So 90% of the course, Nicole, they know how to use this app. Okay, let's use this app. And because you know how to use it, that way we're diminishing, you know, the cognitive stress. Because, Nicole, I want them to focus on my core concepts. I don't want this to be an ed tech course. So if you've got that, let's do this. Back to your point, Nicole. We really have to be careful because we've learned a lot. The students have learned a lot. I've seen a lot of courses that it's not just overwhelming them with content. We're overwhelming them with bells and whistles, digital Mm -hmm. whistles. So at the beginning of the course, it's a meeting of the minds. You know, we need to figure out what have you learned? Where's your comfort level, especially with the prereq courses? And just making sure that this is what we're focusing on. But if you've got a tool, let's use it because you all know how to use it. And this is a, you know, teaching presence. Whether you like it or not, we sometimes have to learn from our students. And I go, I had no idea that was free. I know we're going to go on record. I had no idea what Microsoft was doing in the STEM world. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that Microsoft owns Flipgrid. I had no idea Microsoft owns mike minecraft and minecraft has taken off not just in k to 12 but in a lot of our stem courses and it's really interesting how it's gone into computational thinking uh for our math courses uh for some of our physics courses as well folks they partnered with the city of calgary And so now we've got K-12 schools and our different university classes working on real-life problems in Minecraft with the city of Calgary. Okay, back to you folks.
0: No, you know, I guess what listening to you and kind of going back to the definition of blended learning, I think just maybe highlight the importance of intentionality in uh, designing a course. Because I think, you know, even if you just Google blended learning and there's a lot of things that come up with hybrid learning and online Mm -hmm. learning and is it this or is it that. So it feels like it's a very Mindful approach to figuring out the best from technology to support your learning goals, right? Would you say? Mm-hmm. It? So it's not, I think for some, it might be the matter of convenience. If we can bring the students this day in class, then it's different.
1: So, so I want to really go on to that word mindfulness and intentionality. Mm-hmm. And first, I want to make it a caveat, okay? I think this fellow is amazing. His name's Brian Beatty. I think it's University of California at San Diego. And one of the terms that's been coming up now is high flex learning. Yes. And you may be associated with that. It's that, and, and some people can do it. Some people can run a physical classroom and have synchronous people beaming in at the same time. But we've got psychologists showing that that doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. Our brain cannot multitask at that level. We cannot be intentional and mindful with a group of students that are physically with us and the ones online. The ones online always lose because body communication, 90% of what we're communicating, we're communicating with those people in a physical room. So Brian, love you, but the studies are coming out. So I don't want to dish high flex really want to get back to this intentionality and mindfulness i forget what August's last name is she's at athabasca university she's been doing research about mindfulness forever i see this really spilling into the k-6 to world and then coming back into our world that we need to help our students live in the present and this is why high flex learning doesn't want. we need to be present with our students whether it's synchronous, like whether I'm doing it right now with you Mm -hmm. or and the danger is and we're seeing this in a lot of classrooms. Now that we're coming back on campus, everybody's got a laptop. okay, And a phone. Sometimes I can see that work, but in most cases it doesn't work and it comes down to mindfulness is that they're on Instagram, Facebook or whatever while we're doing it. And, and the research is in. They can do the MRI. They can do all the imaging of our mind. It's hurting people when you're trying to do those two things at once. The problem with any form of technology, it has its advantage. Again, when we discovered we could harness fire, wow, it could warm us. <laughs> but, but uh-oh, it can burn our house down. Right. So we need to have these conversations with our students. And this is really important about their use of these devices. During class time, when we think of blended learning, we need to focus on intentionality and mindfulness and less is more because we're all hurting ourselves when we try to multitask. Um, The neuroscientists have demonstrated you're hurting yourself when you're not present, when you're not just doing one thing and one thing only at one time.
0: I think it's an incredibly valuable insight and especially, like I said, in this conversation when you're bringing technology and you're bringing best practices. And I, I really like the less is more and being intentional about it. And I guess I know we're running out of time and I just wanted to ask maybe in conclusion if there are two or three things that instructors can start doing today mm-hmm. in planning their Classes. What is really? What are those critical elements they need to focus on?
1: So, so the first thing is we really need to listen to our students. I, I don't know how it works for you, but I'm in a program where I still still keep connected. I'm in a four year program. I do have grad students, but it's the undergrad program I focus on. So I try to get to my third and fourth years and and, and get them to give me advice. Listen, you know, if you could go back in time to my course. What are some of the things I should focus? So I think it's so important that we need because, you know, what did they say? It's a fine line between being in a groove and a rut. I've taught this course a few too many times and it makes sense. I know the course. I do it, but I need to talk to someone who's gone through it. And, and again, you know, in our research in social science, we talk about triangulation. Don't rely on one person or one form of data, you know, surveys, interview, focus groups. So that's, that's my first bit of advice is talk to uh, your fellow, like get some advice from past students. The second thing I'm really emphasizing is don't do this alone, Natasha, and Nicole we all have a community um it could be in our home institution um other people teach taking the same course talk to them get ideas co-plan you know you do this i'll do that so that's the the second one and then the third one is is just again you got to have a plan you know Mm -hmm. what do we call it learning specialists or whatever you got to have a plan but but Trying to get the students even before the first day of class, you know, doing some sort of needs assessment or whatever, finding what they are. And again, going back to our community inquiry, that's why we talk about design and organization. You gotta have a design. You gotta have a blueprint before you go in. But again, it's like anything, you gotta tweak that based on the needs of your students. And the more you can find before the first day of class or on the first day of class, it'll be the tweak. So three little pieces of, 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 of helping uh, faculty with this is, is talk to past students about what worked, what didn't in your class, talk to your colleagues, and third, get at those students sooner than later. And that's my advice, and it is always a, such a privilege to talk to both of you because I'll be honest, a lot of this I didn't think about until you forced me to, come <laughs> to my, no no but 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 no no, this is important. this was a learning moment that I want to pass on to others have these conversations and maybe record them as well, not not to do the wonderful podcasts you're doing, but it forces us to think and then we've got the recording we can go back to. Mm-hmm. Thank you, you too. I really I appreciate this. And, 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 and again, not right this moment, but there's three little resources. I'd love it. Links that you could. So my talk, but three things that have really helped me that I'll, I'll link to you about blended learning mindfulness that I really want to share because because that's, I mean, just even in the past couple of weeks, it's really shifted my way of of being and thinking with students. And the last point, let's remember intentionality is for everybody. We need to be present. Thank
0: you, Norm, folks. Norm, it was wonderful to talk to you.